Well, what's up, church? Glad to see you this morning. Glad you guys were able to, to make it. Um, this morning, we're going to start a brand new series called Sola. And this series is going to be unlike anything that we've ever done here before, uh, here at Grace. Um, we're going to do the next five weeks, we're going to go through what we find in church history is called the five solas. Now, anybody ever heard that before? Almost, yeah, one guy. The rest of, the rest of everybody else is like, what? What are we talking about? Um, I, I totally get it. I was just talking to somebody in between services and a couple of ladies, and they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, get to it. Just wait. But uh, I totally understand. We, it's not something that we talk about, really, we've ever talked about before. But, uh, but anyway, it sounds super churchy. It sounds super religious, which is naturally something that I want to push against from because what we believe here at Grace is not religion, right? It's a, it's a relationship. That's what we see through the Bible, through the New Testament. That's what Jesus taught is, hey, he was against religion. And so, um, but the, the whole idea of the five souls is actually quite simple. And basically, it's this. The five souls, which was labeled a long time ago, are five essential core beliefs of a true Christian, okay? Not all what we label as Christians believe this, but of true Christians. These are the five core essential beliefs, and this is what makes us different from all other beliefs and uh, all religions today, okay? This is what draws the line. It's what makes us different. And so the word for sola is actually Latin, and it means alone. So we're going to look at the five alones, and this is the phrase that we're going to be going through for the next five weeks. Okay, you guys ready? According to Scripture alone, through faith alone, we are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. Okay? That's the phrase that's going to guide us for the next few weeks. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to take these, we're going to break them down each week and, uh, and uh, figure out what this means for our life and how this, you know, how this applies to our faith and to all of us as a church of, as a whole. Uh, but this morning, we're going to start off with Scripture alone, which just means the Bible alone. That's where we get our truth. And, uh, and just because a church is labeled Christian does not mean that they believe that the Bible is true. Okay, we got to understand this. This got to understand this really right off the bat. That just because a church is Christian or labeled Christian does not believe, mean that they believe that the Bible is true. And it does not believe, mean that they necessarily believe that the Bible is the only authority for us. Uh, we see today, as you look around at different churches, if you look around at different churches, even in town here in Tiffin, that there's an increasingly amount or increasing amount of churches today that reject the idea that the Bible is truth. Or what they'll do is what most churches do is they'll take the Bible and they'll take some truth, that, some of it that they like, and they'll reject the parts that they don't like. And what they do is they come up with their own, with their own truth. And uh, it's popular today to focus truth uh, for our lives that focuses from, that comes from our feelings, our emotions, and our culture, okay? And this is an issue. The problem with that is that all three of those things, feelings, uh, what I say, feelings, uh, emotions, and culture, those change. Sometimes they change really quick, you know? Our feelings and emotions, those change, those could change by the minute, Right? So it's not something that we can, it's not like a firm foundation that, that we can land on and say, hey, this thing is truth because it's just going to change. We see this throughout history. And, uh, and so that is an issue that we see in churches all around. But there are other churches, and let me name drop one here, uh, like the Catholic Church, which is a huge organization of churches all around us. Um, 
they would say, hey, yeah, 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 the Bible is authority, but it's not the only authority. They would not say scripture alone. They would say scripture and, and tradition, and the Pope are all three equals authorities in our life. And so our issue with that is that, number one, traditions are man-made. Men are sinners. And so therefore, uh, something that, you know, traditions that man make, that, doesn't, that means that there are issues with that, that it's not even close to equal with God. It's interesting, uh, every, every day I try to read um, at least a couple chapters in the Bible with my, you know, myself. This is like my own personal time with God. And this morning I was reading through Matthew chapter 15, and it's, uh, I was reading about Jesus addressing this very thing. He was talking to a bunch of religious people uh, with they always butt heads, you know, throughout Jesus' three-year ministry. And he's talking to these guys, and he's like, hey, you know what your issue is? Your issue is that you have uh, elevated your traditions to equal with Scripture, equal with God's Word, equal with the Bible. He's like, that is messing you all up, and that is wrong. We'd also push back against the Pope and say, hey, the Pope is just a guy who is a sinner, just like me, just like you is not even close to equal footing with God and God's Word. Okay, so those are some issues. And, and when we do that, when we elevate either man-made things or men ourselves to equal with God, that leads to a bunch of problems. And, uh, and, and we see this all throughout uh, church history. And it's so, int- er, it's so trusting in, in the Bible alone is, is not a new thing. It's an important idea that true Christians have held for many, 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 many years. And so today what I want to do is going to be a little bit different. We're going to kind of go back to class today. If you guys are into that, most of us are like, oh, no, okay. But, uh, but today we're going to talk a little bit about church history. Okay, church history uh, is, is not something that we talk about very much here at Grace. And that, by the way, that's because the Bible is so much more important, okay, Bible's God's word, church history is, is not. Uh, but we do see, and, and personally, I do see, I do find value in church history. I personally like history. I like church history. I like reading about it. Um, I will admit that reading about church history and what's gone on with Christians before us has helped me in my re- personal relationship uh, with Jesus. And, uh, and it's helped me with different things that I've gone through in my past, just looking about how looking at how different Christians throughout, the, throughout the, the years have dealt with different things. It's just helped me. It's helped me personally. I'm sure it would help you. Uh, but uh, in, in not only that, but the Christians that live before us, they're like our spiritual ancestors. Right? We, we get that. Um, many, many, many. Like, like the Christians that live before us, the only way that we are able to know the truth is because they didn't shut up about it. Right? And so... For me, there's just something that just kind of, it just pumps me up. Like many, 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 many Christians died so that me and you can know the truth here in 2021 today. And they pass it on. And they were bold. And they didn't back down. And that really, you know, that just kind of pumps me up. Like, hey, I should be doing more in my life. And I got it easy and just all all this stuff. So the sad part for the majority of us is that uh, we don't know our church history. And really, we... See, you know, we have like this timeline in our minds where it's like, yeah, we, we've heard about Jesus and we see that in the New Testament and then we go through the book of Acts and that's, and that's really how the new church was launched. But from the end of Acts, which was only a few decades uh, period to today, we have this like big question mark. We're just like, 
I don't know. Like, we're here. We got here. I don't really know what happened. But it's like this big thing. And that period is like 2,000 years. And God has been working for those 2,000 years. And what God has done within those 2,000 years is what brings us here today. And so before we get rolling today, I want to take a little time. And I want to get on the same page when it comes to church history. Um, now, what we're going to be talking about, especially when it comes to church history, uh, it really intertwines specifically with Catholicism, okay? And so I'm just going to talk, you know, throw that out there straight up. But uh, totally understand, especially here in Seneca County, that many, many of you guys have been Catholics or were Catholics in the past. Um, I also know that, including myself, that many of us have family or, and friends who are Catholic. And, uh, and I also know that the reality is that I'm sure there are some people in here in this room right now that you still consider yourself Catholic. And maybe you're just here coming to check us out, trying to see what, the, what, you know, what this new church in town or whatever is all about. And you're just, you're, but you would still consider yourself as a devoted Catholic. Maybe some of you guys have known or noticed, if you've ever been to Mass before, that we do things a little bit different here. We've noticed that? Okay, it's a little bit different. Um, one that I really like is I'm allowed to be married. Okay, so that's a good one. <laughs> that was for you. Okay. The priests don't have the you. So <laughs> she's like, stop pointing. Okay, anyway. But... Uh, but it's a little bit different. But it's more than just how we do church and how we do things. The, way more important than that is, is what we believe. It's more significant is that we believe differently. And a lot of people have this idea in their heads that, hey, well, you know, I don't know, Christians, it's all the same. No, <laughs> that's not true. That is completely false. Uh, we are not all the same. We have very vast differences, and a lot of them are core differences, like what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks, which are the five core essential truths that we believe that you need to understand, at least, you know, to, to become a Christian. And so today, I just want to throw this out there. My attitude is not, hey, look at them, they're wrong, you know, we're right, haha, stinks to be them. That's not our attitude, that shouldn't be our attitude ever from anybody within our church. Um, and it worries me that sometimes people think that's what, that's what, kind of the attitude that we have, that it worries me that people think that that sounds that way. But the truth is, we have core differences in our beliefs, and I don't think it's right for me to necessarily shy away from that. And so what I need to do as your pastor today, and what I'm trying to do is, uh, is explain this and what our differences in a humble way, and I totally understand that something I'm going to say today is going to offend some people, some of you. I get it. I don't know what else to do about that. I get that some things I'm going to say today might sound harsh to you. Uh, what I would ask from you is really two things. Number one, before you up and leave, you know, and never come back here to Grace, uh, schedule a meeting with me or something. Like, let's talk through some stuff, okay? So let's do that. And, uh, and then number two, I ask from all of you guys, give me a little grace today, okay? This is kind of complicated stuff. I'm going to try to explain everything the best that I can, but I totally will be the first one to admit that I'm not the best at explaining things. Sound good? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Now, Jesus, okay, who we've all heard of, rises from the dead, and this was a big thing. This is what really starts, let's say, Christianity or, or people starting relationships with Jesus. He rises again from the dead, and again, nobody expected that. Okay, that was new. His closest friends is, is 
disciples, like they didn't expect it. Everybody was like, whoa, you know, um, Jesus is back. And he starts appearing to people, and he does this for 40 days. And during these 40 days, he begins this thing that we now call the church, this movement, which is basically just a bunch of, group, or of Jesus followers or a group of Jesus followers that come together, and we, we meet together at least once a week, and we do life together, and we try to reach others for Jesus, okay? That was the main mission that he originally gave the church. He says, hey, you guys need to go out and you need to tell the world about what I've done for them. Now, fast forward 2,000 years, that is our same job and our same mission that we have today. If you call yourself a Christian and you have that real relationship with Jesus, that is your job. When you go to work tomorrow, that is your job. When you wake up in the morning, that is your job. When you go to the baseball game or wherever it might be, you know, when you go to, the, to work out, that is your job. Okay, every single one of us, we are, that's our mission and that's our job. And together as a church, that's why we are here in Tiffin, Ohio. And that's what we are supposed to do. And that's, that's, that's why we're, you know, that's why, why we do what we do. And so we see that Jesus, he launches this thing called the church. And the church we see through the, through the book of Acts, which we see in the New Testament, expands. And it starts going throughout the Middle East. It starts going throughout Asia. It starts going uh, throughout throughout Europe, and it just goes, 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 and goes until a few decades have passed after Jesus' death, and the Roman Empire, they come down, and they own the world at this, at this point in history, and they try to eliminate Christianity completely, like wipe, wipe them off the map, and they, and they do that by killing, killing Christians. So they take Christians, they kill them. This is how Paul dies, this is how Peter dies, this is how these like Bible characters that we grew up learning about in Sunday school, this is how they die, uh, just terrible, horrible deaths. And, uh, and this happens for like 250 years, the first 250 years, which is nice because Jesus, time kind of started with, with Jesus or started up. So it's like through 250 AD, this stuff is happening through 300 AD. And so during this time, the church consisted of many local uh, groups of people, which were just Ju Jesus followers that spread throughout the entire world. So they're all over the place. And many cities, they didn't have a bunch of churches here and there and over there, where like we do today, they would have one group of Jesus followers that they called, oh, those, that's the church, not the building, but the group of people that met wherever they could. And what was the church originally supposed to do? Well, we see that in Acts. We see the church was supposed to worship God together, learn truth from the Bible together, hang out together, and pray. That's what the church is supposed to do. That's what we, that's, that's, like, that's like our foundation for what we are here at Grace. It's what we are supposed to do as a church. That's what the church was. That's what the church is. But as Rome began to stop killing Christians, okay, was they, as they started to accept Christianity as a new valid belief, all the various churches, they actually became, began to become more organized. And as churches kept popping up, pastors and leaders from larger churches, they would assume authority over churches in their, in their region, and these people called themselves bishops. And so you'd have a pastor, he'd have a large church, usually it was a larger church, but he would be the most influential person in the region usually, and, uh, and some other churches would pop up in some nearby towns, and so he would become the bishop, or he would become the pastor of all those churches, even though he wasn't all at those churches at one time, if that makes sense. And so that was happening all over the place, and many smaller churches were totally okay with the structure. And there were some good things about this structure. Number one, the church was a lot more unified. Which was a good thing. We see that all throughout the Bible. We are supposed to be unified. We should be, you know, we should be a lot more unified than we are today. And that's what they were. But there are also some 
other churches, and a lot of small churches, you kind of got a split here, where many others said, you know what? Hey, you want to become over us? We're not really into that. No thanks. We're going to remain independent, and you guys do your thing. We're not necessarily against you. And so the organized church, which eventually grew into the Catholic church, started to grow, and they started to adopt new principles and new practices and new beliefs. And this became an issue, while the other churches who didn't fall underneath the, the organized church umbrella, they, who didn't join, they stayed with the traditional New Testament beliefs, which is the same beliefs that we still hold to this day. And so it's kind of like this. Let me try to explain this a little bit. Um, God has given us truth, okay? And truth, by the way, is something that every single one of us in here should be after, Okay, this is what we should be searching for. This is what we should be looking for. And truth is basically just like a straight line, okay? And, uh, and we're looking for this. But in order to be a Christian, there are some guardrails. Like there's a, there's a part where you can believe truth, where you can get too far not in sync with truth, that uh, you automatically become not a Christian anymore, if that makes sense. Okay, I'll try to explain that a little bit better. And so let me, we'll say Jesus starts this off, and then throughout the time, we have uh, the first 500 years, so 500 A.D., and then 1,000 A.D., 1,500 A.D., and then we'll say today. Okay. Now, with truth, what I'm saying is, um, there, if you look around today at the churches around, there are many churches that, uh, that we're in here, that we would totally agree, that we would say, hey, we're all Christians here, we're all within the, we're all close enough to truth. We don't agree necessarily on all theological issues, but we agree on the main stuff, which happens to be the five solas, which is what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. And so we're looking at these, we're saying, hey, um, us and, uh, and United Baptists, you know, across town, we might not agree on every tiny little thing, but by far, the most of them, we are right in sync, and they are our brothers and sisters. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, there's a lot of churches today that are outside of truth, too. And there's some of those churches in town which we would say, hey, you are too far. You don't believe in the core elements of Christianity. And so, yeah, you call yourself a Christian, and, and we as a society label you as a Christian, but you're technically, you're not a Christian. Okay? And so what happened was, throughout history... We start off on par with truth. We got Paul, we got Peter, we got uh, the apostles, and they're, they're helping lead us. But eventually, what happened is we start veering off in the wrong direction when it came to organized church. Now, when I'm looking at this and when I'm drawing this, what I'm saying is this isn't just something where I point and say, hey, the Catholic Church has gone completely, has veered off. That's messed up. I can't believe they did that. No, no, no. We all have the tendency to do this. Every single one of us, including myself, we all naturally, because we all have a sin nature, and we all jacked up, messed up, horrible, terrible people, which is what the Bible tells us, uh, that we all have the tendency to veer off course, to run away, and to move away from truth. And so this is what happened to the early church. Now, there are also other churches who were still in here that may not have agreed everything uh, on everything perfectly when it comes to a theological standpoint, but mostly they're within the realm of truth, and, and we would say they're definitely Christians, even though they don't agree with each other on every little thing. 
So that is kind of what happened throughout church history, where the organized church started to veer off track as they gradually adopted new practices and they gradually adopted new beliefs that they originally did not have. And as the organized church grew, as they grew in influence, as they grew in popularity, they also grew more powerful, especially politically. And that just brings a bunch of issues. It was around 400 AD where the Roman Empire, the government, uh, encouraged Catholic bishops to put to death anyone who was part of independent churches in the area because they were viewed as heretics. Hey, you're not part of our group? Then you're a heretic, all right? We don't, you know, you, you deserve to die. And that's exactly what they did. For the next thousand years, the organized church started persecuting the independent churches that were scattered throughout the world until a major event happened, which was around 1500 called the Reformation. How, how many of you guys have heard of the Reformation? Okay, so how many of you guys actually know what the heck that is? Everybody's like, well, I've heard of it. All right. The Reformation was this movement that was started by this guy, Martin Luther, who, by the way, was a Catholic priest, and this guy was like Catholic of all Catholics. So he, he was known for going into confession and being in there for like hours and hours and hours and hours because he wanted to confess every tiny little thing that he could possibly have done wrong. And, uh, and what Martin Luther started doing is he started taking the Bible, which was becoming more readily available, and then he started comparing the organized church to it. And so he's reading the Bible, and he's like, huh, okay, this is what the Bible says. Wait, this isn't what we do. And then he would look at the church and say, hey, this is what, this is what we as a church do, but what? that's not in the Bible. And so Martin Luther started pointing this stuff out, and he's like, whoa, there's something wrong here. Like, we have gotten off course. Like, we are not on the road anymore. We've gotten off the road. And so organized church at that point in time had grown into this massive hierarchy of political power. I mean, the church owned one-third of the land in Europe. The pope was declared the king of all kings. He actually went to kings and rulers of nations, and he would tell them what to do, and he would tell them how to rule. And, and the church was involved in every aspect of life. It was involved in baptism and confirmation and communion and marriage and confession and last rites. That means in order to go to church, the church had to say okay. In order to go to school, the church had to say okay. In order to get married, the church had to say okay. In order to go to heaven, the church had to say okay. And Martin Luther, he's looking at this. He's like, well, none of this is in the Bible. This ain't right. This has all been made up by men. This is all tradition. And one of the major issues that Luther had was this idea of indulgences, where, uh, which was happening in organized church, where it was, hey, if you give us money then I will write a piece of paper for you or a certificate or whatever. Uh, I will say, hey, you don't have to spend as much time in purgatory as you deserve, and, uh, and I'll get that to you, and so that's, that's really good after you die. Like, like this, you know, that's, that would be like me standing up here saying, hey, if you pay me 600 bucks, I will go back to my office, and I will write you a certificate saying, hey, you get to go to heaven when you die. And that, you get to hold on to that and cherish that, and that's, you know, that means nothing. It's a worthless piece of paper. And so Luther's looking around, and he's like, he's like, what is going on here? There's actually this one guy who, who Luther disliked a lot uh, named Johann Tetzel, and he was a Catholic teacher, and he, his job was literally to raise money for the church and raise money for, for building huge, magnificent buildings um, all throughout Europe. And he would say things like this. He would say, hey, are you so tight-fisted not to pay now that dear grandma can escape the torments of purgatory? You jerks. 
Are you so hard-hearted as to not give your last penny to allow your dear departed mother to find relief? I didn't think purgatory was supposed to be that bad, but apparently it sounds bad. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. This is the kind of teaching that people would go around and say, hey, you need to give money to the church. And so it makes sense. I mean, we can all understand how easily that can get corrupted. And so Luther, he's looking at this stuff. He's like, you don't need no priest to go to God. That's not what we see in the Bible. And so he came up and he, he wrote down 95 things that uh, he thought was wrong with the organized church. And one day, I think it was 1514, he, he nails these things to the door of, of the local Catholic church. And, uh, and this sparked a huge response. And it wasn't just Luther doing this. There were other guys like John Calvin and Zwingli and uh, just all these other people uh, all throughout the world. They began to push back against the organized church. And these people are saying, hey... The issue is we need to get back to God. We need to get back to the truth. And do you know why? It's because of the Bible. This is because of Scripture. Scripture alone. See, at this point in history, the Bibles, Bibles were becoming more readily available because of a relatively new machine, technology, that was only around for a few decades at this point called the printing press. And this changed the game. For the first 1,500 years of Christianity, there were very few Bibles uh, being printed. or Actually, they weren't printed. They were being copied. And churches had parts of the New Testament, and a lot of churches had the Old Testament, but very few had the whole Bible. And actually, there were some Catholic churches even that didn't have a Bible at all. There were a lot of churches that were like that. And so, and not only that, but the ones that were being copied and at the beginning, the ones that were being printed were mostly Latin, which was not a common language that most people ever, you know, spoke or, or read. But with the printing press, Bibles were becoming cheaper, and so churches could pool together money. They could all come together, pool together their money, and go out and buy a Bible. And this was huge. And the more people that read their Bibles, the more they realized how far the organized church had strayed away from the truth. And again, this is all our tendency. We all do this. It's Scripture that brings us back. And so when this happened, this is called the Reformation, a ton of people left the Catholic Church to get back on the road of truth. A bunch of people said, whoa, 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 we're not doing this anymore. And they, and they started calling themselves, they were labeled as Protestants, which is where that word comes from. It comes from the word protest, meaning we're going to protest the Catholic Church. See, our spiritual ancestors, they landed on five core beliefs of a true Christian. And, and that's what they call it. They call it the five uh, solas. And it's all based on this first one, Scripture alone. Meaning the Bible is truth. And so some of us, I think naturally, we're just like, I don't know, so why should I believe? Why should I believe that the Bible is true? Why not, why not that guy? Or why not, why not tradition or anything like that? Why not my feelings? Why not my emotions? Actually, Peter gives us two reasons in Scripture. We see in 2 Peter 1.16, he says, Hey, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, this is no fairy tale. This isn't something that we just came up. We didn't make this stuff up. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's like, hey, you know, this whole Jesus thing that you've heard about? He's like, we were eyewitnesses. I was there. 
Right? The New Testament, by the way, isn't something that was written that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus died, and so, you know, we're just guessing at this point. No, no, no. It was written within a few decades by people who were actually witnesses, by people who were actually there. And this is why we could trust our, our, our Bible. I mean, reading the New Testament, we understand that it's definitely eyewitnesses. I mean, the amount of detail that's given shows us that these people were actually there. I mean, things like the inclusion of women as Jesus followers, the inclusion of women as, as eyewitnesses in that culture, in that society, which was male-dominated, that is something that we, they would never do. But here in this in Scripture, they point to women. They say, hey, these women saw it, and you could trust what they have to say, you, you know, even though, even though in that culture, it's like even though they're women, because that's what happened. I mean, you read about the disciples. Think about it. A lot of times they look like idiots. Have you notice that? In the New Testament, they just look dumb, where you almost feel bad for Jesus, like, oh, they still don't get it. Come on, guys. You know, it's, that's not something that you would tell people if it wasn't true. I mean, even Paul mentions this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, hey, Christ died for our sins according to the what? Scriptures, according to the Bible. He says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the what? Scriptures the Bible, and that he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Peter. That's who we're talking about. And then to the 12, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. By the way, most of them are still alive. Paul's saying, hey, they're around. This is key phrase here. He said, hey, you could go ask them if you want. But some of them have fallen asleep, meaning some of them have died. Then he appeared to James. James is who we've been talking about for the last nine weeks, Jesus' own brother. And then to all the apostles, and last of all, as the one born at the wrong time, Paul's saying, he also appeared to me. He's saying, hey, we're eyewitnesses to this. We saw this stuff happening. Uh, Peter, he's saying the same thing. He said, we saw this stuff happen. And then Peter, for us, he gives us an example of, of a time where I don't know why he, why he gives us this specific you know, time. I think maybe, maybe this is when it just kind of clicked for Peter, where he's like, okay, this Jesus guy, I mean, this dude's the real deal. Like, out of all things that Peter got to see Jesus do, walk on water, do all this stuff, right, this one sticks out in Peter's mind at the end of Peter's life. Back to Second Peter. He says, For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. For we ourselves, we heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. See, what Peter is doing here is he's referring back to a time with Jesus. And, and we see this also, we see this account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They also record this for us. And the story kind of goes like this, where Peter, James, and John, they're with Jesus. They walk up to the top of a, of a small mountain in there, and eventually those three, they fall asleep. And they wake up, and Jesus is standing before them, and his face, and what they describe it, is his face is shining like the sun. See, when Jesus came to earth, he had to veil all of his glory. He had to hide all of his glory. And so he looked like a normal, average human. But these guys, these three at least, they got to see who Jesus really was at this one time. And Jesus wasn't alone. He was actually with Moses and he was with Elijah. Those guys have been dead for, a for over, over a thousand years at that point in time. And, and remember what Peter starts doing? Because Peter, he's all heart little mind. You know, he doesn't think. He talks before he thinks, and he's that type of guy. And Peter, he's like, hey, if you guys want, you know, and he 
can't see, and he's like, I'll build you some, like, a shelter for you, Moses, and I've got one for you, Elijah. We'll get some sticks together. We'll get one for you, Jesus. And Mark's like, Mark tells us a story. Mark's like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, he's just rambling. He doesn't know what he's saying. He's so amazed about what's going on. And during this time, a voice out of nowhere, a voice from heaven speaks. We see this in Matthew chapter 17. He says, this is my beloved son. This is God the Father, with whom I'm well pleased. He says, listen to him. And they all fall face down, terrified. See, Peter, he is pointing back to that moment. And he's saying, hey, I saw it. He's saying, I heard it. Like, I was there. This happened. What Matthew wrote about, what Mark wrote about, what Luke wrote about, he's like, it's true. Peter then says in verse 19, he says, not only was I an eyewitness, and that's why you can believe what we have to say, he says, we also have the prophetic word. What's the prophetic word? It's the Bible. He says, strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it. You, know, you should listen to it. You should read it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until that day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's saying, hey, this is important. Like we have the Bible. We have the truth. And you need to pay attention to it because the Bible is like light that is shining in a dark, dark, dark world. He's like, man, look. The world is a dark place. The world is messed up. It is hard to find truth. And guess what? This is it. He's saying the Bible, Scripture, what we're writing, he's like, this is truth. He said, I was there. Verse 20, he says, above all, you know this. He says, no prophecy of Scripture, of the Bible, he says, comes from the prophet's own interpretation. He says, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God. He's saying it didn't originate with men. It originated from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, here, Peter, he, and this is so key. He tells us how the Bible was written. You know, I talk to people all the time, and, and sometimes people will say, well, you know, the Bible, you can't really trust the Bible because it was written by a bunch of men and over a bunch of years, and men make mistakes, and, and so therefore the Bible has mistakes, and it's not all truth. Peter's like, no way. Peter's like, that's not true. No, the Bible is truth. While, yeah, a few men wrote it, he's saying they're not the author. He's saying God was the author. He's saying it was from God, God's literal words. Paul describes it differently. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he says, hey, no, he calls it as the scripture. I mean, it's like God breathed. He's saying it's like God's words that he literally, he breathed out. See, that's the reason why we can trust it. That's the only reason why we could say it's truth. That's why here at Grace we teach the Bible, if you haven't noticed. All right, we teach the Bible every week. Every week we go through and, and go verse by verse. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, meaning it is from God, and it's always going to be from God, and it's unchangeable. It's also infallible, meaning it's not wrong in any way. We believe that it's historically accurate, and we believe that it's truth. We have this saying that, that we as a church we go by, which has come through kind of our groups of churches, our group of churches for the last 
few hundred years that, uh, that says this. It's the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible. Why is that? Because the Bible is what keeps us on the straight road. The Bible is what keeps us straight. The Bible is what keeps us from veering off in the wrong direction. And by the way, if this church ever stops preaching or teaching out of the Bible, leave it. Don't come back. Because it's the Bible and only the Bible that we can place our trust in. It's not my opinion. It's definitely not AJ's opinion. Okay? It's the Bible. I mean, it's God. See, our disagreement with many churches that are around us, it begins with the Bible. We don't believe that man-made tradition is even close to as equal with the Bible. We don't believe that any man on earth, whether it's the Pope or not, is even close with the authority of the Bible. We don't believe that our feelings inside of us or our emotions inside of us are even close in comparison with the Bible. We don't believe that our culture as a whole, definitely not, is even close to authoritative or, or to authority as the Bible. See, the Bible is what keeps us centered, and the Bible is what keeps us in check, and the Bible doesn't change. It doesn't veer off course. It's not some hand-me-down story that has changed over time. We know that from, from archaeology. The Bible is written by eyewitnesses, and it's authored by God. So what's that mean for my life? Mm. What do you think? <laughs> Read it. <laughs> We say this all the time. By the way, there's churches all around us that, would, that don't encourage their people to read it. We say it like every week. I just talked about this last week. I said, hey, you know, 35 minutes here on Sunday morning should not be the only Bible that you get all week. You should be doing this on your own on a daily basis, diving into God's word. I, let me, uh, I promise you, you cannot grow in your relationship with God if you do not read your Bible. You can't. You'll go off course. Pretty soon, you know, it's, it's just, you, you can't. If you don't have a Bible, guess what? We will give you a free Bible. We got them at the information center. Stop by after the service and grab one, free of charge. We will gladly give you a Bible. We want you to read your Bibles because we believe with all of our heart is that is the Bible alone. And the honest truth is, you look throughout church history, people died so that you can have a copy of that God's Word. Isn't it interesting how we are? Probably a lot of us in here, we got multiple Bibles, probably most of us, if not all of us. And uh, we might not know where they're at, you know, they're under our bed, collecting dust on some shelf. Maybe they're in some drawer somewhere. And it's like, you know, I, yeah, I got, I got, people died for that. People gave everything that they had so they could purchase a copy of that for their church. That's how important, that's how precious it should be to us. Not the physical book, it's the words that are inside of it. It's the Bible alone. 500 years ago, a bunch of people realized as they started reading their Bibles that they got nothing if it's not for the Bible. I mean, it's all we got. And it's enough. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you for your word. God, we, we admit that we don't read the Bible as much as we should. We, I mean, we don't spend time in it like we should. We don't cherish it like we should. God, we ask that you would help us with that. 
Lord, help us to grow in our relationship with you through reading your words. Help it to keep us on the right path, keep us on the straight road. God, help us not to veer off, which is so, so, so easy for us to do. God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for these words. And God, we thank you for loving us and dying for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.